0: Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, the podcast where we're going to figure out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm Caitlin Meredith. I'm a mediator and a coach based in the Bay Area. And I'm Sarah Glacus. I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of
1: Black Barton Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup.
0: So I first met Sarah when I signed up for an Investing for Beginners class at UT, And I opened that door to the classroom thinking I would see like an old gray man named Walter in a three-piece suit standing in front of a chalkboard and that I would barely be able to keep my eyes open for a whole class session. And instead, there was Sarah, sparkling and smart and funny and seemed like somebody I'd want to be friends with. And I thought I was in the wrong classroom because it was so different than what I thought anything having to do with investing or finance might be. But I learned so much in that class. And after the class, Sarah and I became friends. And now we're doing a podcast. So I can bring... That whole very un old Gray Walter experience to everyone else. So, welcome. So, I feel like those of us who never got a financial education in investment, we have to pretend we know a lot of stuff that we don't just to seem like grown ups. Part of that is not knowing who famous people are and knowing that they are famous and their names, but having no idea really who they are. So, Sarah, get ready. I'm going to ask you about one of those. Who the fuck is Warren Buffett? Oh, my
1: gosh. Great question. I love talking about Warren Buffett.
0: (laughs) I know you do. But I want to tell you on this note card, I wrote down the three things I know about Warren Buffett. Okay. All right, hit me. You tell me if these are all right, because I think I know them. He's very, very rich, correct? Correct. He lives in a modest ranch house in Lincoln, Nebraska. Omaha is his
1: home base. And I don't know if it's a modest ranch house, honestly. That might be an urban legend. I, so I don't know that one, but it's Omaha is where he's based.
0: <laughs> Omaha. OK, Nebraska was right. He writes a letter every year that all the financy people go nuts for.
1: Yes, and I will say with Warren Buffett, why I think he's a good person to follow is he has become, I mean, he's an expert at bridging that, that gap between the world of Wall Street and finance and the world of the retail investor, right, the normal everyday investor. And he's always been able to do that, right? He has this folksy wisdom that really resonates with individuals. And that's what makes him, I mean, just like this mythological being in the financial world.
0: But who is he? How is he a somebody that we even know who he is?
1: Great question. So to back way up,
0: who is Warren
1: Buffett? He is the CEO of a company called Berkshire Hathaway. And so Berkshire Hathaway is a company that basically owns a bunch of other companies and a bunch of other stocks. It's a conglomerate that Warren Buffett runs. But he's been doing this since, I mean, in earnest, I think, since the 1950s. So over that period of time, he has really been out there you know, trying to to grow this huge company basically from scratch. And I think part of the mythology is his longevity. He's maybe, I think maybe he turned 90 this year. Okay, I was going to say, how old is this guy? Okay, And more than that, he again, he's able to walk this line. He is definitely a shrewd financial being. He can digest vast amounts of financial information. He can make really shrewd business calls. He's really famous for wanting to get the cheapest price for everything. And that resonates with a lot of normal everyday people, right, who are shopping in the bargain bin. And he's Always taking the time, I feel like, to talk to normal investors and to really help people figure out what they can do in their normal everyday life. He's also like a huge proponent of the stock market. Even as old as he is, he's still
0: basically 100% stocks. But why does he need to be so rich? This is what I feel like I'm conditioned to be very suspicious. You know, when you think about who who would be in his class right now, the people that I would even know about are like Jeff Bezos or Microsoft people. So, you know, they're selling products. So I sort of get it a little bit more. They have a business It got really popular and they made a lot of money off of it. He's just rich to be rich so he can show off his financial knowledge, especially if my myth is true and he lives in a small, <laughs> a modest <laughs> ranch house. Despite the catalog, he doesn't come off as as showy of a person with the 50,000 square foot estate, you know, that Bill Gates has. So what is it about money? Is it just winning? I think for him, it's probably
1: accumulating. He's an accumulator. It's like keeping score. But I don't think he's keeping score against other people. I think he's keeping score against himself. And to kind of go to, like, why should one person have so much wealth? I mean, that's, like, probably beyond the scope of what I can speak to. But he and Bill Gates were kind of the first billionaires who started this giving pledge to give away half of their wealth during their lifetimes and are encouraging other billionaires to do that. Um, So I think that Warren Buffett, I mean, it's his company. He has built his company in a way that 100% resonates with the way he thinks about business, I mean, he's living the dream, right? He created his own dream job, and I think he really enjoys doing it. So, you know, he's really good at something that is able to create vast amounts of wealth. So he has created vast amounts of wealth for himself. He has also committed himself to giving it away during his lifetime and not leaving it all to his kids. That's another famous story is he's, you know, his kids will inherit, how does he put it? His kids will inherit enough money to do whatever they want, but
0: not enough money to do nothing. It's something like that. Like, you know. Okay. Well, I can appreciate that. I think the disconnect for me as, you know, I'm just, I have a little bit less of an investing success track record than... Warren Buffett. Um, But for me, and most people I know, our focus on investing is so that we can still take, you know, a summer vacation after we retire. It's these very tangible things like, how will I, you know, have my standard of living once I stop working? And have a little perks, you know, get to buy my grandkids stuff or something that these future plans that are all so tangible, And so it's hard to make that leap between just wanting a few extra thousand a year so I don't have to worry about money after I retire to having such a vast sum of money that you would never be able to spend it in one lifetime. And yet he and I are investors. (laughs) The game is so different for him. It could be a game. Whereas for me, it can't be a game.
1: Right. I think that's absolutely True. I mean, once you have a billion dollars, the stakes are much lower as to what you're investing in, right? If you're starting from nothing and trying to build it into something that will provide you security for the rest of your life, the rules for you are different. Absolutely. I mean, Warren Buffett is not important for people to know about in order to study his business decisions and replicate his investing success. I think Warren Buffett is a good person to read his writings, again, because in those annual letters that you referenced, he talks regular people through what he thinks is in their best interest to create this wealth that gives them security, right? So one of the big things he's a proponent of is investing in the stock market. And he will lay out in his letters year after year after year after year after year why he thinks every person should be investing in the stock market. And he does tie it back to, this is how you can create wealth, too. And you don't need a billion dollars, right? But for most of us regular investors who are trying to figure this out, I don't think we have a very clear idea as to what our options are, right? I think you and I have talked about this in the past, this idea of moving the needle, you know, that regular investors, we start out with, the high yield savings account. Yeah. Like and we just need to stop doing
0: that, right? We need to stop focusing on that. So what's an example of a concrete advice that he gives for a normal person like us? Well, you're I don't consider you a normal person <laughs> because you understand. <laughs> I am all a normal
1: person too.
0: You are normal in other ways. I don't consider you normal in your vast knowledge of finance and investing. But for instance, for someone like me, what's actually a piece, it would never occur to me to read one of those letters because I would just think like the terms alone, the vocabulary he would use, I would have no way of even deciphering. So what's an example you can think of of some concrete advice he gave for someone like me? I mean, he's
1: always talking about investing in stocks and investing in stocks for the long run. He every almost every letter he focuses on the wealth building power of investing in stocks and specifically stocks in the US. And keeping, you know, he's, you know, if he's 90 and he's been investing since he was 14, he's been compounding his money for a long time. His advice is buy stocks. Buy stocks where you understand what the company does. Whose stocks you are buying. Don't chase fads. So it, it comes down to buy high quality companies where you understand their business model. That means you understand what they're buying and how much it costs and how much in profits they can generate over time. And then do it for a long time. Okay. And that's his his whole story. And you know, when, you know, if we start talking about compounding, you'll see like what that's the impact of that decision-making makes for a normal person over time. How does a normal person accumulate wealth over time? It's by focusing on those like tried-and-true pieces of advice that Warren Buffett gives in his letters all the time. And I will say, if you're reading his letter... Skip the first part of the letter and skip to the end, oh. because this part where he's talking to people is almost always at the end of the letter. There's a oh, section that's at That's so the good end. to know,
0: because that's the kind of thing where I'd be like, OK, this year I'm going to read Warren Buffett's letter. And then four paragraphs in, realize I st- have to read the whole thing over again because I haven't absorbed any of it. So I get to skip over all that part and then go skip to the it, end. Skip it, because he's talking, about, like, he's talking about like changes in accounting
1: rules for the first 20 pages of the letter.
0: Okay, but Sarah, even the part where you say invest in the companies you know, that's even intimidating to me because I'm like, I've never worked in that world. I have no idea. So that means, you know, I look around me. I have an Apple computer. I have an iPhone, you know, so obviously Apple plays a big part in my, and I don't know anything about the company other than I buy their products. Is that what he means by knowing about a company? Or am I supposed to like figure out some sort of industry that I know nothing about, and just that will be what I research.
1: No, I think it's, it's what your instinct is leading you toward. You know, people in the economy, we vote with our dollars. We all have finite resources, even Warren Buffett, right? But we certainly have finite resources. Yes. So when we're making our spending decisions, what are we spending money on? Uh, if you choose, if you're looking at two computers and you choose an Apple over you know, something else, maybe that means that that apple product is a good product that other people will want to buy too okay i mean that idea of what companies are able to create the goods and services that we want to buy yeah or that our kids want to buy that can lead you pretty far down this path of understanding the companies that you're buying you don't have to know everything about apple to understand that if you have an iphone And it's time to get a new cell phone. Which one are you going to buy? If you're like, oh, I love my iPhone, I would never buy anything else, chances are pretty good a lot of other people feel the same way. And so you understand how Apple makes money. When people are in the stock world, and this is like you can fall into this trap of taking tips from people people telling you what the next thing is. Like, oh, it's company XYZ. You should invest in their stock, right? You need to know what company XYZ does. But you don't need to know everything about the company. I think you just need to understand how a company makes money. It takes in money. It spends money. You want there to be money left over at the end. Do you have a basic understanding of how that works?
0: Well, one of the things that... So that's very comforting. I like to think that I can just literally look around my surroundings. What have I used my earned money on and just start from there? Those companies. But I also get worried. Like, I'm always hearing about companies. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, the company that has the software that... Uh, you know, Amazon uses for their inventory, or that's a warehouse like these invisible companies that usual consumers just have no idea that exist or that do payroll or something that that don't necessarily have a product that I would ever see. And so I wonder, am I only exposed to like 5% of the companies that are in the stock market. And therefore, I have this tunnel vision for just the ones that I can see versus like the real money makers are the ones you have to know about those obscure industries to actually have the full breadth of the stock market.
1: Oh, I love that. I mean, so the way you get around the blind spot is just owning all the stocks, right? It's it's buying a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. That certainly Apple and Microsoft and Facebook and the companies that you see every day are going to be a huge part of that fund. But so will all those other little companies that make the components that go into those companies' products or the companies in industries that you're not exposed to or sectors that you're not exposed to. So instead of picking one company and figuring out like oh how does this company make money you can you can just buy an exchange traded fund or a mutual fund that has a bunch of companies in it and then you don't need to worry
0: about it right okay so we need to talk about those but before we do that i want you to say i know you have so many of your favorite Warren Buffett quotes so i just feel like it would be remiss if we didn't let you Share one of your favorite Warren Buffett quotes.
1: Oh, awesome. I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to paraphrase because I don't know if I'm going to be able to recall it verbatim from memory. But I think my very favorite Warren Buffett quote is, someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted
0: a tree 20 years ago. And that's just like a dagger to my heart, Sarah. <laughs> because essentially what you're saying is, I should have done all this money stuff 20 years ago. And then I would be sitting under the shade of my, like, amazing foresight for having invested. But that's not your point in saying it.
1: Well, if you're planting trees now, in 20 years, you'll be sitting in the shade. But I also know, Caitlin, that you planted some trees maybe not 20 years ago, but maybe 10 years ago. And so you're sitting in some shade today from trees you planted in the past.
0: I didn't know that I was planting them, though. But yes, okay. I feel like what you gain out of it is whatever you do now, you'll benefit from in the future. And I feel so frustrated that it took me so long in my adult life to start paying attention to this stuff. And so it's hard just to not kick myself every time to be like, why didn't I just plant a tree then? Like, why did. <laughs> and I know that's not the point for you.
1: I mean, I feel like we should unpack that because I think that's a really common sentiment and maybe something that stops people from moving forward on investing, right? Like, I think I've been doing this long enough that when people talk about their money regrets, I'm like, we don't have time to talk about your money regrets. Like, we're moving forward, right? We're moving forward starting today. But people have money regrets and that stops them from making positive changes. I mean, so what do you think for people who have regrets about what they did in the past or wish they had started sooner
0: i mean what what would you say to them well that will torture our children because we're so we will live that out in them they you know the first babysitting job that my daughter gets like we will be talking about a Roth IRA from the very beginning so that will be how i make the amends I was the person who, when I got my first job and had to fill out the form for whatever, and I just did it the quickest possible. And every month that they would send me a statement, I would literally not open the envelope because it was so scary. You know what? I didn't even have like what bandwidth didn't I have? as a single person with a job. Um, But it was just, it had a force field on it. And so for me, when I think about money regrets, I think about those envelopes I didn't open. I think about not being curious during that time. And so it's frustrating, and I don't know why it then feels sort of like, and now I should suffer for that. Because it was dry, even though now I can also see the infrastructure around, I never got a class in it, no one was ever coming out to be like, hey, this applies to you too, it's not so hard to understand, it's fun actually to think about. Um, So there's an aspect where I'm always looking for, and maybe we're just getting into my own unique masochism, (laughs) which is a different podcast, I think, Um, but that because of my guilt and shame and fear about being so maybe deliberately or not ignorant about it for so long That I'm looking for pieces, more ammunition to tell myself how dumb I was not to do this earlier. And it feels like so much is on the line. Like, really, is this the difference between me? I mean, in my case, I love my work. So I want to do that forever. So I'm not, it's not like then I won't be able to retire in my specific case. Because I like my job and I have a luxury of choosing. But, like, will I not be able to take two vacations every year when I'm a grandma because will I not be as generous as my parents are able to be with my kid? Like those are the implications that scare me and so it freezes me then too.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, that makes me so sad. But
0: it totally is understandable,
1: and I think that this is where like my job as an advisor and certainly the meetings at the Austin Women's Investing Group. I think the benefit that I get is watching the stages that people go through, starting from the beginner stage, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm an idiot, like, you know, this is never going to work, to putting together a plan, either on their own, or with the support of someone else. And then 10 years later, seeing the outcome of that plan, I imagine that there are so many people out there who can't see the difference in their life 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. And you don't get the benefit because we don't generally talk about this. You don't get the benefit of hearing other people's stories over and over and over again about, okay, back in you know 2011, I just decided to do this other thing. And now 10 years later, it worked. Like, high five. I don't know. Maybe kind of settling into this we're waiting for the market to crash we're waiting to lose all of our money you know we're waiting for this really bad thing to happen and we don't often hear the kind of boring stories of working a long-term financial plan we only hear the get rich quick and then the like oh the downfall of someone you know like brought on by hubris and greed and this person ends up in jail like there are so many in between stories of like I didn't have my shit together, and then I got it together, and now I actually feel pretty good about it.
0: Yeah. And I think that that process for me was so, I'm going to use the word empowering, even though kind of gives me the (laughs) (laughs) heebie-jeebies, because I remember after your class, it was literally making the one phone call to Vanguard, being like, look, I'm freelance. I don't even know what I can have, but I am calling you to make that first step and there was something very I just it turned something that I was avoiding and had this force field around of fear and shame and you know snowballing like I didn't do it then so now it's going to be even worse so I need to avoid it even more to oh here's this really nice person on the phone who is not treating me like an idiot or like it's too late lady but I I thought of it like people who run in marathons and have already trained for years and were in track and field in high school like it seemed like their whole life was a runway to be investing and to have a solid financial future and it's like i wasn't going to just join the new york city marathon the next day and that's what it felt like i'd have to do like it's too late i'm not in shape i haven't trained i don't even know how it works And so learning through your class that like it is a marathon, but like it's your life and you just like put your shoes on and join everyone else. And some people are walking, some are in strollers, Yes. (laughs) wherever you are, you can join. But I really you're exactly right. We don't hear those stories. So I'm hoping we get to tell some of those stories. And I feel like I'm in an in-between that there's, you know, since. Starting, I go through periods where I'm totally motivated and, want, you know, can learn the numbers and feel, get energy from it and excitement about feeling confident. And other times that dread, you know, returns. I love
1: that. I mean, I love the running, too, because I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm identifying more and more with the runners who are out there on the street and you know they just started three days ago (laughs) and they are uh, doing it and I just want to cheer for all of those people who are doing it who aren't like in you know just the sports bra and like the, the little short running shorts right like the the people that are out there and you're like oh my gosh this person made this decision to get out and start running and they are Not in runner shape yet, (laughs) but how do you get there? You get it. You get there by saying, I'm going to lace on these shoes. I'm so sore from yesterday. Yeah. I don't know how far I'm going to be able to go, but I'm doing it. I'm like going to develop that habit.
0: And you're so right that meeting with, in our case, the Austin Women's Investing Group with a bunch of other women, but really it could have just been one other woman from one other person who's also engaged in that process. And for me, it helped that there was a mixture of beginners like me and super advanced. Because also, as I started to learn more things, even if it was just the phone number for Vanguard (laughs) that I could give to another person and say, look, I've called already and they were super friendly and helpful. I mastered something and I could then teach it to someone else who was, you know, a beginner like I had been. And even that process was, I'm going to say it again empowering. And that's what we're here for. Because, you know, I had a little bit of mastery and that gave me confidence to go a little bit more and a little bit more. So after we stopped recording our conversation about Warren Buffett, Sarah chose that time to tell me one of the more interesting details I've heard about a public... (laughs) figure especially someone like Warren Buffett who she had just described as this like midwestern grandfather so we're back on recording so we can try to repeat this conversation where Sarah blew my mind okay so I can't remember how you said it but it was just sort of like as an aside like oh yeah he has two wives it's like uh come again (laughs) yes I I think this
1: is So interesting, right? In in learning about Warren Buffett, most people just are really focused on his investing prowess, which, of course, is very impressive and is actually seems to be the easiest thing to understand about him. But I love that for much of his life, he essentially had two very important women in his life. His first wife, Susie, who he was married to for a long time, and they had three kids together. And at the same time, while he was married to Susie, she decided that she wanted to go on a separate path. She didn't want to live in Omaha, Nebraska. She wanted to live a more cosmopolitan life in San Francisco. So she left, but didn't want to get divorced. She loved Warren. But she wanted someone to be able to take care of him. So she essentially arranged for someone who she knew and loved, a woman named Astrid Manx, to kind of start taking care of Warren while Susie wasn't around. And so Astrid and Warren developed their own relationship, a very uh, close relationship. Like
0: chicken pot pie on Sunday kind of relationship or toothbrush next to the sink kind of relationship?
1: No one really knows like that level of detail. But, you know, Warren Buffett would go to different events with either Susie or Astrid. I think I read somewhere that they signed their Christmas cards, the three of them together. So this was not a hidden thing, and there was no shame about it. Everybody was on the same page that he was married, but that he also had a very close romantic relationship with this other woman. And it seemed like the three of them cared about each other very deeply and had this essentially open relationship for, I mean, like decades. And only after Susie passed away from cancer and Warren was at her side two years later, he got married to Astrid and they're still married.
0: So this is like the craziest Bumble profile ever, like married couple seeking third of the most wealthy. (laughs) Yes, and his wife was like, I don't wanna hear him chew anymore, (laughs) but I wanna stay married just from a different state and I can outsource. The kind of caretaking that I'm not into anymore. I think it's so creative. It's such a creative solution to a problem that so many of us have. Thank you so much for sharing this bit. It's what makes finance interesting is finding about the romantic triangles. That's really what I'm in it for, apparently. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll keep my ear to the ground for more
1: scandalous news in future podcasts.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Don't leave it out next time. (laughs) So Sarah, what is one thing a Woman on the Verge can do today to take the next step on her financial journey?
1: So since we're talking about Warren Buffett, I think one really easy thing to do for a woman who wants to learn more about especially investing in the stock market, a topic we're going to get to in future podcasts but what you can do to start getting used to the way that people talk about investing and money Mm, is go to berkshire hathaway's website so berkshire hathaway is the company that warren buffett runs and every year he publishes a letter to shareholders you can google warren buffett b-u-f-f-e-t-t letter to shareholders and you will be directed right there. You can click on the 2020 letter to shareholders, which is what I'm looking at in front of me. And what Warren Buffett is really known for is talking in relatively plain English about very complicated financial topics. So, you know, you could read through the whole thing. It's only 14 pages long. Or you can skip to the end. So, in Every letter to shareholders, Warren Buffett takes some time to talk directly to individual investors. And so in this 2020 letter, I I see that kind of starting to happen on page nine, where he stops talking about the nitty gritty of Berkshire Hathaway, the company, and he starts kind of weaving in different narratives and his perspective on investing. And this is, you know, it comes out every year. A lot of people, you know, wait with bated breath for the letter to shareholders to drop, but you can go back at any point in time and just read through those and you really get a really clear picture of how Warren Buffett's investing mind works. And I think it's
0: just a really good resource for regular people to have. And you don't have to worry about if you don't understand every fourth word or whatever. We're gonna unpack a lot of the words that are be used in investing talk and advice and whatever, but just, to get a feel for how that vocabulary is used and even feel like you can just Google a document that has recommendations in it and read it and try to understand a little bit of it, that even that is progress, right?
1: Yeah, just read it and let the words wash over you. We're going to come back to these (laughs) concepts in the podcast and on your investing journey. This is for women on the verge, not you know, women with a PhD in finance. It's just, you're getting started using that muscle of reading about financially related events and starting to digest them and pack them away for future use.
0: Yeah. And you can bring a highlighter if you want, but you don't need to. A milkshake, yes, Mm -hmm. but a highlighter and notepad, not necessarily, because you're not like taking this as actionable advice right now, but just like, I'm entering in this conversation as a listener right now, and I need to hear how they talk. Exactly. I love that, an entry point into the conversation. It's bringing your
1: chair up to the table, getting your seat ready, but you're not being asked to know every single thing that is in this letter when you read it the first time.
0: No one's going to call on you. No
1: one is going to call on you. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Okay. perfect. Thank you, Sarah. Hey,
1: do you have any dumb questions about finance or investing? Send them to us at our website,
0: womenontheverge.com. Hey, so many thank yous to Kelly West, a woman on the verge in her own right, who took the amazing photos for our album art and website, helped with our website design, music, audio editing, cheerleading, mental health, everything. Emily Kleinsorgi, our stylist that did our hair and makeup for our photos from Lucy Skyrocket. Lauren Gross and Taylor Gross, who helped us with our graphic design, and... Our music is by Bad Bad Hats and Devmo. This episode was edited by Kim Shelton and Jess Rowe. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, taking your money, or not letting you know about or have access to family income, this could be economic abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. So Sarah, because you're a financial professional, we have to read a disclaimer for this podcast.
1: I would actually really love it if you could read the disclaimer. Oh, thank God! And your best legal voice.
0: Okay, doing it. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security i know the first thing you notice is that i'm covered in gold the trip at the wrist it could turn a hot bitch cold to get what you want in life girl you gotta be bold now i'm a direct and i know